You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. This is another edition of Weekend Conversations. Each week, I'll take a deeper dive into an article or interview that I shared during the week, often a Friday forward, but sometimes something different. And joining me today is Mick, as always, uh, who's the co-producer of the Elevate podcast. Mick, how's it going? Going well. How are you, Bob? Uh, I'm good. It's weekend. So so this week, we're going to be talking about uh, one of the posts from the Leadership Minute. And if people don't know, what is the Leadership Minute? Yeah, the Leadership Minute is part of the uh, Friday Forward premium subscription and uh, for those who listen to Friday Forward, it's just a little more tactical. It's designed for managers and leaders uh, who want to build good teams and, and has kind of more tips and tools and best practices. So it complements Friday Forward. And this, this post is entitled Surviving Layoffs in 2024. So that, that's a very spicy title. It's a little teensy bit clickbaity, <laughs> which is, is fun. So what the post really does is it provides a roadmap for leaders and employees alike who are looking to navigate what looks to be pretty choppy waters in 2024. So what inspired you to tackle this topic specifically? Yeah, it's interesting. I was on a podcast a couple weeks ago and the host is is a business coach. And this was a question that she asked me because she said, this is the conversation I'm having with all of my CEOs uh, heading into 2024 and how to... How do people handle this? And, and this was more from the leadership side. Like, do you tell people? Do you not tell people this is a chance? Like, does it make them nervous? And and I've heard very similar discussions, and we've seen a lot in the press. And everyone's kind of going in their end of year cycle, and you know, expecting another another difficult year. And so, as we talked about it, it sort of thought about the different options, both for leaders and CEOs, uh, and you know, leaders of teams. But also the the employees in this environment, and how do you how does everyone handle uh, what is ostensibly a really bad situation in the best way possible? Because we can make bad things a little better, or we can definitely make them ostensibly worse based on on how we choose to handle them. And so, just to clarify, this post isn't specifically about like communicating about really negative news like layoffs, for example. It's more like navigating the environment generally, how to like talk about the situation with employees in a way that they understand and they feel like they have agency and not that they feel like it's all doom and gloom and panic, right? Yeah, so we talked about three different approaches. And I think it's just on the leadership side, it's, it's a helpful framework. The first was the sugar-coated approach. The second was the shipwrecked approach. And then the third is the Stockdale approach, which is based on the Stockdale paradox, which is something that uh, I've talked about a lot. So I want to start high level uh, as someone who has done a lot of like planning for the year ahead in past years as a leader. You've navigated a variety of economic environments. What are you seeing and like what are you hearing from other leaders about like the expectations people have for what 2024 is going to bring and what sort of trends are affecting a lot of businesses? Yeah, so it's interesting. Look, after the the pandemic, we had just a ton of stimulus put into the economy and and there was tremendous, you know, rebound and it was sort of so it's like we went off a cliff and then we bounced back. And what businesses whether they've been doing well or not well the last couple of years have been struggling with is just this 
kind of seesaw of supply and demand that's made planning really hard. They, they have too much inventory. They don't have enough inventory. They have too many people. They don't have enough people. And it's been hard to plan on, on this. And I think a lot of people got stuck with way too much, you know, uh, not enough inventory in early 21, not enough people. And then they kind of loaded up on all these things, thinking that the good times would roll. And then as inflation bit, um, it's been a little bit harder. So if you think about that shift in 2002, where somewhere around July, everything just started to kind of fall off a cliff, that all the things that had been hockey sticking since COVID, you know, I think people thought maybe that's a little bit temporary. And and so whatever they planned for for 2022, it looked great in the beginning. So they kept doing that. I think 2023, they might have been a little bit conservative. And I think I think 2023 was well below expectations for most people and companies or a lot of them if they weren't in travel and leisure and thing and restaurants uh that look more like 2021 2022 um so i think as companies get to the end of the year they're having some discussion they're saying look you know they're kind of planning for choppy seas again they were below their expectations below their goals and they're like look we you know we we don't want to get caught short again so what do we need to stop doing and what are the things we need to cut back on and and budgeting you know, when everyone gets into this is is the natural process where it happens, where someone says, hey, I want all of this again next year. And someone says, you did 20% less output last year. Like, you, you know, unless you're showing me more output, you're not getting all of that again. And, you know, we talked about this actually in an early leadership moment, but there's two types of budgeting. And the second one actually helps maybe lead to some more realistic discussions. The first one is kind of everyone works from what they got last year, and typically tries to negotiate up, you know, in their ass. But then that's where you have these problems where everyone, oh, I'll do five or ten percent more, and you add, and let's say you did twenty percent less in earnings last year, you add it all up, and now you're going to lose forty percent more money next year. And then there's zero based budgeting, which says that everyone has to kind of go back to zero and justify everything they're doing. And I think that's where these sort of conversations start because people are asked to say, well, what what am I going to, you know, a good CFO or financially, what am I going to get for my my money <laughs> this year? I think it's a really good illustration of expectations versus reality. And it's funny, I, I feel like the past few years post-COVID in 2020 have forced everyone to kind of become an amateur economics professor and everyone's talking about <laughs> and supply interest demand rates curve. and yeah, supply and yeah, <laughs> all of that stuff. And it seems like a real thing that happened was there were some changes to the demands that the buying public had in 2020 and early 2021 that a lot of people expected to be permanent and they made you know hiring and investment decisions based on that but it turns out that social lives and buying patterns of people snapped back to closer to what they used to be before 2020 and the economy is like almost resetting to match that reforming of demand have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, 
but it's a great looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. What what do you think about the miscalculations that were made and the way that a lot of companies may have assumed certain things would endure that were changes during COVID that actually snapped back to normal? Yeah. So as you said, you know, whether it was Peloton or, uh, you know, retail, they just assumed that like massive spikes were the new normal. And then they moved all their structure to that. I know people can't see me now, um, but my experience is that anytime you see a curve that goes almost uh, vertical for a certain period of time, it will be matched by an equal <laughs> curve at some other point. And just there is general regression to the mean around these things, um, whether it's interest rates and it works on the up or the down. So the steeper that line, the more likely the opposite effect, like after COVID, is, is going to happen. Um, so when you shift all of your resources based on a very short amount of data, you know, there's a lot of risk there. And I think this is, it's just really hard for people to leave opportunity on the table, um, but they don't realize that they're kind of potentially creating future problems. So, but that sort of leads to this year, right? There's been all this up and down and back and forth. And so people didn't really know what to project to be optimistic. It feels like we're kind of throwing a, a low bottom here. Like it's not horrible, but it's staying in a range now. And I think with that sort of consistency, it's forcing people to, be a little more realistic in their planning. I, I happen to think that people are so beat up over planning in the last couple of years that they're kind of projecting for all the worst this year. And so maybe there's some ups <laughs> potential to actually beat that. We've actually lowered our expectations enough to beat it. But I don't think anyone wants to be on the short side of their stick. I don't think they want to walk into more board meetings and finance meetings and <laughs> keep having the discussion of we're behind plan. We need more money. It's not what we thought it was. Yeah, and I, I think there's a real challenge of calibrating expectations based on what the economy is going to do, which can be really difficult to gauge. And so, as you're saying, like we could be in a situation where a lot of companies are planning for an incredibly choppy and lean year and could end up in a situation where a lot of companies are beating targets, in part because they adjusted to the environment we're in now. But the economy could change. There are indicators that suggest that the economy is moving in a better direction than it was this year. So as a leader, and I know that you had to do this in an extremely high-stakes situation when you were CEO in 2020, how do you strike that balance between planning for the worst while also hoping for the best? 
Yeah, I mean, and this is where, and I encourage people, you can go read the Friday Forward post, the, the Stockdale paradox. That, to me, was my uh, North Star. So the Stockdale paradox came out of Jim Collins' work in Good to Great, and it was named for Admiral James Stockdale, who was a prisoner of war for seven years in Vietnam. Really hard seven years, but but he made it out. And Collins used this as a metaphor for what good companies do really well. And when he went to interview Stockdale and figure out what was it that made him be able to survive this, because very few people survived that much time in in captivity, he found that you know he two things w- were true. You know, one he was very uh, he held a, a very long term view that he was going to get out and it was going to be okay. He kind of held on to that optimism and and that viewpoint, but he also did not ignore the brutal realities of the situation. There was torture. There was a lot of stuff going on. And he kind of didn't sugarcoat it for himself or for other people. And one of the interesting insights that Collins had was that when when he asked him, so who sort of like didn't make it out? He said the optimists. <laughs> and it comes to the optimists. Well, you just talked about like this need for optimism. And he said, no, like the optimists who just were overly optimistic and ignored reality they thought they were going to be out by Christmas. Then they were going to be out by Valentine's Day. Then they're going to be out by summer. And they kind of like died of a broken heart because they weren't ready to, to deal with the situation. And I just always thought that was an incredible North Star for leadership. And I mean, I can share a story. So early in COVID, we, we were always been open book. And early in COVID, you know, we had a massive drop off in business in the first couple of weeks. Not only we had that, we had large enterprise clients saying, we're just going to pay you nine months later. Now, as a services business, ninety percent of our cost in people, we don't have the opportunity to pay our people nine months later, and so, kind of, we were digging into this in real time. And you got to remember too, at this time, if you wouldn't have been in the workforce for the last ten years, so maybe anyone thirty-two and below, you had never seen a recession, you had never seen a slowdown. Like this was a Goldilocks era of up and to the right, and so we started communicating with employees, and we're like, look, things are not good. This is what we're seeing. This is what we're looking at. These are the key kind of things we're looking at where we're going to be forced to make tough decisions. And here's our sort of general rubric that we are trying to follow during this time. You know, what is best for the company, what is best for people, what is best for clients, what is best for partners kind of in this order. And we're going to try to make decisions that are best for uh, everyone and that preserve the most jobs if something comes to this. Because we're looking at data that's falling off a cliff. And look, we got some feedback from people early in those weeks. And they said, why are you telling us this? Like, you're traumatizing us. Like, why are you telling us about all this bad stuff that's going on? And I just never, look, if you weren't, <laughs> if you weren't like looking out your window or looking at the news, hard to hide that was a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. And it just never occurred to me to try to like, pretend that that wasn't the case. And I just, I don't, I have a different view on this and I've, I've debated with my team over the years. Like, I don't think, I think it's your job to tell people the truth. I don't think it's your job to try to make everyone feel good and keep things calm, particularly when they're not. Like, I think that's a false sense. The world is crazy and our job is not to tell everyone that everything, that could be a parent's job to a three-year-old kid, but I'm not sure that that's an adult's job to an adult. And, and so there were a bunch of people who uh, were very vocal early on. Then an interesting thing happened. A couple weeks later, the people they lived with, you know, roommates, partners, spouses, started to just lose their jobs out of the blue um, and were totally blindsided. Uh, and the companies that they worked for had never even said anything or talked about that there was a problem or otherwise. And, and almost to a person, 
those people always all came back and said, you know what? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Like it's much worse to not be in the know and to be blindsided. And so I, I'll, I'll kind of never forget that. I, I really hope <laughs> I don't have to ever live through that sort of <laughs> scenario again, the calamitous, I'm sure. But, but I, I will never forget that as a sort of lesson. Again, sometimes what's easier seems hard is still the right thing to do. And you, it takes the longer term for people to, to understand that. Yeah. And from the employee perspective, I can say, having been working at the company at that time, the thing that with all of the fear and anxiety I was experiencing in those early months of the pandemic, I did at least say to myself, like, at least if something happens to my job, I'm not going to be completely blindsided. Like I, I started being very careful about building up my emergency fund, stuff like that. I felt like I had all the information and I felt like if something was to happen, it would be handled in a respectful and in a humane way. And that that can be so valuable in a tumultuous time. I think that there's an important distinction between, as you're saying, like if things really have the potential to go sideways, there's no good in hiding that from people to prevent people from feeling worried or scared. But that is why people hide it from them, right? So they think that that will... That. Well, if we just tell everyone everything's okay, then we can get the most out of that, right? Yeah, and so I think that there has to be a distinction between like that type of situation, a situation where like someone might be seeing, say, for example, they might see like a, a company that's a competitor doing a layoff, and they might be anxious that they're going to see a layoff too. And in that case, it can be up to the leader to effectively explain why the situation is different and why the environment that applied to that company might not apply to this company. But I think that there's a difference between like explaining the context and why the things that seem scary are not as scary as they might appear. And like acting as if something that really is obviously scary is actually fine and that you can just ignore it. Like that I think there is a really big difference there. Yeah. And and look, you know, one of the challenges is I think leaders today are leading are leading a group of people who have been parented in this style that is about shielding and not having tough discussions. And so it's like a contrary style. I want to double click on something you said, because it, I sort of peeling back, it, it actually addresses a conversation that went on in our organization years ago, and might disagree with a little bit of what you said, but it's a good discussion. There was a, a, a layoff at a company in our industry that did what we did, but it could have been a barometer for problems in, in the industry. And we didn't know about it or otherwise. And there was a lot of debate about we should say something, you know, about this. Um, because it's going to make people uncomfortable. And, and the company had released some stuff. And, you know, when companies say things publicly, well, it wasn't a big deal. Or it was performance or otherwise. Like, you don't know. You don't know whether they're really struggling. Or they said, look, we have some cover here to, like, move on our bottom 10% of our company. And so let's, let's do that. And they had planned to do that. And I was very adamant that we should not be commenting on something that another company did. That they could read what that company said. They could determine to believe it or otherwise. Like, what if we said, oh, that's just a them thing? And then we had a problem, right? Then it was our credibility. But again, it was this, well, people are going to be uncomfortable seeing that. Well, I'm sorry. Like, again, that's <laughs> welcome to life. Welcome to adulthood. This is our, our desire to remove discomfort. I don't think any company should be commenting on another company. Unless you are like so sure that you're in such a great position and it's not a barometer, I don't understand what you can possibly win in that scenario because it's not your company. You can reiterate certain things. You can acknowledge that you heard it. But my answer was, tell them to ask people there or ask them for clarification. We, we should not be commenting on it. 
Yeah, well, it's it's about the facts of the situation. And in a situation like that, where, as you said, you know, you don't have the facts about what happened. And yeah. so it doesn't really do anyone good to get up in front of a group and like speculate on what happened somewhere else and how it might apply to to you. Yeah, and like I said, I, I'll repeat it again. Look, as, as a leader, I think it's your job to make people be informed, you know, feel like psychologically uh, safe, you know, feel respected. There are a whole bunch of things. Comfortable, and, and comfortable, I think, for anything that you can control. Let, let me say that. I think taking on the job of making them feel comfortable for the impact of global pandemics, the impact of layoffs in other companies, that is, that is a Pandora's box that you should not and get into. Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. So I want to get into the three approaches that you shared a few minutes ago, which is like three kind of broad ways that a leader might communicate about potential economic choppiness, challenges, and so it was the sugar-coated approach, the shipwrecked approach, and the Stockdale approach. Can you give a little bit of an example of how each of those might look in practice? Yeah, and I don't think this has to also be from the CEO or the leader of the organization. I think these are also approaches people can take with their teams directly, and that's important to understand. So, you know, in the sugar-coated approach, the leader does not really talk about any challenges the business that are facing they might paint an overly rosy picture trying to keep the team calm and engaged. You'll hear discussions like, well, if we tell them what's going on, they're going to get nervous and they're going to look around and whatever. So there's kind of an active lie going on. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, this yields an outcome where then employees are totally blindsided when they were told kind of everything's great, like after COVID. And then maybe weeks later, months later, or even weeks later, there's kind of a layoff. And then the then trust is kind of totally broken with the people that that remain. So it's kind of a high risk, high chance of disaster approach. Like where if you, if you didn't tell you people the plane was running out of gas and you land the plane and you nail it, like great. But otherwise, like you're going to have lost credibility with a large uh, group of your people. And I, I have heard these stories in leadership training and because we talk about communication problems and where people felt that they were really misled to. And like, it is like a PTSD thing with five or 10 years later where people are like, this person fundamentally lied to my face and told me something wasn't true and I was blindsided. So that's sugar-coated. The upside of that, I think, uh, and, and this would be you know the inverse of the Stockdale paradox too, is just the no upside approach, right? So this is the shipwrecked. Like 
you know, the leader's like, look, here's all the bad things going on in our company. It sucks out there. It doesn't look good. <laughs> um, sales are slowing, churns rising, and we're probably going to have to have layoffs. And it's kind of in the veiled line of a threat. And what happens there is like, then the company's top performers, like the ones who know that like they're going to do great, like they start putting their resumes out there and like, look, I want to get off this sinking ship. Like, I don't, I don't see what the upside, what you just told me the ship's going down. What's the upside in staying in staying on the ship. And then again, the Stockdale approach really balances those two. So let's bring it back to like one of these kind of planning sessions and budget. And, you know, I think the leader tells the team or the company, Hey, look, we're facing some, let's say it's a software company, some real challenges in 2024. We've got, you know, sales are going to be down. Churn is higher. We're a SaaS company. You know, that's that's how we're measured. This needs to be tackled with with urgency. And so they're not saying like, you may not have to say like, or else they're going to be layoffs, but but there's an implication that like this can't go on or there's a cash crunch or something needs to change. So after they say that, you know, they start talking about what the teams can do, what's in their control giving people agency on how to how to navigate these waters. Not that you're just going to be in the boat and it's going to be flung around and you have to do it. And, you know, they say, look, we're going to communicate around anything we have to do. Our goal is in all situations, you know, if it comes to that to protect as many jobs as possible. Uh, and then they kind of like remind people like, look, this is why we need to go the extra mile when a customer calls. This is why in sales, we need to kind of follow up. We need to come up with these new features. Um, they talk about the things that that they can control. And then there's an optimistic note to it. Like, look, I, I this is going to be tough, but I believe we can come together and do this. And that, from all the evidence that I have seen, that is the best possible approach that someone can take. And that's also, I think, what people really remember. Like, people remember the people who stepped up when things were in a challenging situation. And... I think that there's a lot of value to leaders empowering teams to think about what they control and think about the agency that they have. Because everyone in some small degree can affect the direction of a company. Yeah, the agency is the most important piece there. Again, just to simplify the boat metaphor, like, hey, Mick, we're going about, about to go through choppy waters and you're going to get thrown around and knocked around. And it's going to absolutely suck. Like, And you might fall out of the boat. I mean maybe you just jump out of the boat. Like <laughs> someone told you that, like what's, but if they say, look, we're going to hit these choppy waters, but here are like the hundred things that we can do. Here's how we can position the oar. Here's what we can do with the boat. And here's how we can do the pat. Like people want to feel like they make a difference. They want look and, and leadership doesn't have the answer. So giving people the data and this is why I believe in open book management, showing them where the holes are. Like some of these ideas that come up, uh, we had Jack stack on the podcast. It hasn't come out yet. And he's the, kind of father of grandfather of open book management and he just talked about how like some of these lowest level employees who they had just started to provide literary financial education to gave the company like incredible insights around like once they explained the problem to them they said well don't we have to fix this or don't we have to do this and they were and they were right um so you just give people steering wheels even if all the bad things might happen I think it's really important for them to feel like they can make a difference and show up to work every day and it matters. Yeah, and I think that actually what you were just talking about was a really good example of how important it is to prepare for tough times when times are good. And the thing that I recognize in a lot of the things you were just talking about, about like people feeling like they're a part of the company's 
accomplishments. They feel like they can contribute. They feel like they can bring like a new idea that they think could help the company in a challenging situation. All of that stuff is a product of psychological safety that is fostered by leadership. And that is the type of thing, you know, the, the Warren Buffett quote, like when the tide goes out, you see <laughs> yeah. who's swimming naked. Like the companies that I would expect to like really struggle in this type of environment are ones with like an exceedingly fear-based leadership style or like yeah. a lack of psychological safety where at the first sign of trouble, like everyone is going to just be out for themselves. They're not going to be able to come together. They're not going to be able to share like ideas and try and get the best options on the table and be honest with leadership. Yeah. And there's actually a point that you noted there that's really important, which is you should do the hard stuff when times are good and you should be the the support when times are bad, right? It's easiest to have the hard discussions and beat people up when it's going well. I always, it was a book that one of my professors in college wrote called The The Leadership Moment, um, Michael Yusim. He just had some phenomenal real world stories of leadership. I think we've kind of even forgotten what good leadership maybe looks like. And one of them was Joe Torre and, and the Yankees, one of the famous managers of the Yankees. And he basically said that like, Joe Torre would get all over his players when they were winning the game and they did stupid, sloppy things. Like they didn't run the first bit. He would chew them out <laughs> when, when they came in, but when they were winning the games. And in a big game, when you got picked off or stud or otherwise, and you came in and you blew the game in a pivotal moment, he would tap him on the butt or put his arm on their shoulder and, and sort of reinforce them. And that always stuck with me. And I think that is an incredibly smart way to think about it. Yeah, you should be... You should be talking about the, the little things. And when, when times are tough, people need, again, you shouldn't hide the truth, but they, they need some optimism in their leadership. But if you, that's not the time to, to kind of dig in if you haven't built up the credibility with them and talked about some of these things before. Again, the time to save is when it's sunny <laughs> out. It's really hard to save when, when it's rainy. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good example. So I want to switch to the employee side of the equation and uh, for this one, you use a framework from a friend of the show, actually, Liz Wiseman, who wrote a book called Impact Players. And among other things, Wiseman emphasizes that impact players, they don't wait for direction or focus only on getting the basics of their role done. They take initiative, they're self-directed, they make life easier for others, including, you know, teammates, but also leaders. Yeah. So what do you think about like this approach and why is it so important in challenging times? Yeah, I think it's it's a great approach in any time. And I'll dive into it. But I think it's also incumbent upon people to understand the market that you're dealing with, right? And in 2021, it was awesome if you have a ton of inventory. In 2023, not awesome, <laughs> right? Um, so the, look, we are past the, the job market isn't horrible, but we are past the great resignation where you could quit any job and get another one tomorrow. And we are we are past the sort of quiet quitting at the tech company where people, you know, they, they have fundamentally found all these jobs where people are not working and eliminated them. Um, so it's important for people to understand that it's a tougher market out there. I've seen a lot of people posting. It takes even to find a job. It can take a long time. And obviously, it's dependent on what industry you're in. But again, if you're in one of those industries where sales are flat or sales are down, don't assume that hiring is going to look great in, in those other industries. And so I think some of the behavior and activities, and I understand, again, these things bounce around. It's, it's power. People don't act well when they're in a position of power usually. 
but where the market is. So there are a couple of things that Liz talked about, about what makes the best employees and, and the biggest impact. And I just think like it's a good reminder right now. So they step up and lead without being asked. Um, they kind of take initiative. That's always a good thing. She had this thing. They figure out the real job to be done. This is the kind of 80-20 rule. What is the most important thing? What is the higher? So if you combine those, they find the most important things in the organization and they step up and take action on them, even not being asked. The next one was they make sure they push things across the finish line, right? They're known as people who, who get things done. And then the last two, again, this is such a good recipe for good times and bad times, are they learn and they adapt to change. So again, what happened last year is not relevant to our current situation. I'm not going to keep talking about last year where, where, where the change. And then they make heavy demands feel lighter. Um, so they kind of take the weight off other people around them. So this is in general what the greatest employees do. But if you put across that lens of, of difficult times, when when most companies or or teams are are heading for a layoff, what happens is a month or two before, you know, the CEO or the CFO would say to you know you Mick, you run a team like Mick, we're going to need to get ten percent lighter. So I want you to think about you know what on your team, you know, or who on your team, you know, we need to kind of move away from or stop doing. And so that's probably in your head for a couple months before you need to make a decision. And so as you're looking around at your team. There's an obstinate person who's still thinking it's the great resignation and quiet quitting and not coming to work and doing the minimum and fighting everything. And then there's this other person who, you know, is is showing initiative, jumping on these important things, making your life, you know, easier, adapting to change. And if you have to do more with less, that's the type of person you're going to really want to make sure that you hold on to. Yeah, I, I think that actually this is a really nice mirror image to the point that you made in the leadership section about leaders giving people agency and like making it clear what they can control to help improve the state of the company. Because that is about like extending opportunities for people to take agency. And then impact players, everything that you've just described, is people who seize upon those opportunities to take agency. And like they want to raise their hand to work on the highest leverage things. They want to like find ways to make other people's lives easier. And yeah, as you were saying, everyone, and this I think is true for everyone in an organization, but I think because in part of the pressures that you've described goes double for leadership, in like a hard time, like everyone's job is really hard. And people really do remember people who yeah. go the extra mile to make other people's lives easier and make other people's jobs easier. Yeah. And look, if I'm if I'm looking at a group of people on my team and evaluating them, and you know, there's there's Mick and Sarah, right? And Mick Mick's had some trouble and some challenges. And I just see him constantly making the same mistakes and doing the same thing. And it feels like we're in kind of a loop. Sarah's also made a bunch of mistakes and some challenges otherwise. But Sarah it, it's like we encourage our son to always go for extra help in school, you know, in a subject. But Sarah's kind of coming in, having a discussion, talking about what she can do better. I see her not always getting it, but trying, you know, to improve, doing things differently, all this stuff. If I have to decide between Mick and Sarah as a leader, I'm going to go with the more like where there seems to be some upside. <laughs> like I know what I have in Mick. It's not working and it's not changing. 
and Sarah is maybe it's also not working, but I feel like there's a chance. <laughs> I feel like there's an opportunity. And and I, I don't think enough people think about that, you know, in terms of like how they are perceived. And you don't want to be perceived in tough times as someone who is completely obstinate and not willing to do what needs to be done or shift otherwise. Um you know, and even if, let's just say even Sarah's maybe a little more incompetent than Mick, but Sarah's always coming in and be like, what do you need me to work on? How can I help? Where can I dive in? Again, I'm, I'm going to be told I gotta as much, you know, come up with one now put yourself in the psyche of that manager. And if you were them, who would they choose? Yeah. And I, I think that's a really good illustration because being an impact player by Liz Wiseman's definition, like it doesn't mean being doing everything perfectly. Like it just means having a certain type of approach and having a certain type of mindset. And it's not even necessarily like all about uh, relation to leadership. Like if there is a person who goes out of their way to make the entire team better and like they're always willing to take on more work, they're always willing to take time to like help other people on their team get better. People see that type of team-oriented approach and they recognize when people are really willing to go above and beyond to help their colleagues. Yeah. And, and, and look, uh, opportunity and potential are important. If I, if it, it's kind of like a stock versus a money market, you know, in, in maybe not this year, but in previous years, like, look, it's going to get a 1% return on this. This one might go down, but it might go up 20%, right? Which, which do I want to bet on? And again, we don't want to bet on when I have to maybe do a little bit more and, and less and where there's pressure. And this is where emotional capacity and intelligence, like if you're someone who cannot be relied on, overly emotional, shows up different every day, can't leave stuff from outside of work at home. And there is a time and place for emotion. We've talked about this a lot. But again, just put yourself in the shoes of your manager. If you were, th- if you were them <laughs> and you needed a sure thing as possible or needed to make kind of a decision, what would you do if you were them? And and I think, again, people like a, someone who is fundamentally stable, but who has upside. I think that just to put a bow on the conversation, it ultimately can be summed up on both sides of the leader and the employee, that dynamic. It's about clarity and it's about agency. And it is about like seeing the situation as it is and being aware of you know, the reasons to be hopeful, but also some of the brutal facts to borrow from the Stockdale example of what's going on. And so I think that leaders have a responsibility to communicate those things to their teams and to teach them and talk to them about areas where they have agency. And I think the impact player side is that as an employee, you need to like really hear and process that message. Like you have to acknowledge and accept the facts of the situation yourself and you have to t- seize the opportunities to take agency and to make a difference in a challenging circumstance. Do you think that that's a good summary? I, I can't say it any better than that. So read the room, right, in these situations. So uh, w- we should leave it at that because I think you said it better than I could. All right. So do you want to take us out? Yep. So thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to check out the post we just discussed, go to robertglazer.substack.com and click on the Leadership Minute section. Look out for future editions of Weekend Conversations, which will be in your feed on Saturday mornings. And if you haven't subscribed to the show, follow or subscribe to the Elevate Podcast on your favorite podcast player or app. Until next time, keep elevating.
This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.